You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on the Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I'm the owner of Free Method Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice empowering women to break up with diet culture by teaching them how to trust, respect, and feel safe in their bodies. We welcome all foods over here from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. This episode of Food Freedom Podcast is sponsored by our Free Method Recipe Book. It's time that you have a way to create flavor-packed meals that you enjoy that also align with your goal of food freedom. This recipe book is designed to support your intuitive eating journey so you can gain confidence in the kitchen. Complete with recipes that emphasize gentle nutrition, you'll find delicious and simple recipes that allow you to win back your time. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash recipe book to get yours today. Welcome back to another episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Today, I am joined by Lauren Smith. Lauren's a registered dietitian, and we're going to be talking all on the intersection of eating disorders and addiction. And um, Lauren comes from a special place with that, where she currently works in eating disorders and addiction as one of her part-time jobs. So Lauren, welcome to Food Freedom Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So I think a good place to start would be just you taking a minute to introduce yourself to our audience, who you are, what you do. I mentioned how you work part-time in the field of eating disorders and addiction, but I know you also have another part-time job. So yeah, just tell us a little more about all of that. Perfect. So like you said, my name is Lauren Smith and I am a registered dietitian. Um, I'm from the Philadelphia area. So if anyone's familiar, I'm from Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is right outside the suburbs. And I have been a dietitian for almost two years now, which is crazy because I mean, you and I both know the process is like so long. So being two years out, it just, it flew by. Um, But like you said, I kind of landed in an interesting spot with my career, but I'm really happy to be here. So When I first started out, I started out in eating disorders in a partial hospitalization program treatment center, and it led me to my current job, which is in a a big suburban hospital system, and I work in their addiction center because of my experience with eating disorders because there's the connection that we'll talk about. So I do that part-time three days a week, and then the other days and evenings, I work with Jenna over at Happy Strong Healthy RD. And I see clients one-to-one and we do group coaching and, you know, all that good stuff over there. So that's where I'm at currently. Yeah, I love that. So have you, when did you start with Jenna at Happy Strong Healthy? How long have you been doing that? So funny. I started with her literally right before the pandemic. So January (laughs) 2020, we started and then it was like, I think end of February, really March hit. And we were like, okay, we didn't know we were going to be doing this work together in a pandemic, but it's been over a year now, um, primarily in, in COVID. So yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure y'all have noticed. I know with our practice, we noticed a huge spike in clients during COVID. So I feel like for Jenna, it probably worked out well. 
of like, oh my God, hundred percent, a hundred percent with happy, strong, healthy. And also in the addiction center, like, as you can imagine, yeah. oh, I'm sure COVID on every single mm-hmm. person's mental health, which is mm-hmm. a huge part of eating disorders and addiction. Yeah. So both of those jobs have just like exploded, um, mm. with, with more clientele. Yeah. Oh gosh. I am sure. So yeah, I would love to dive into that. Cause I think with eating disorders and addiction, you know, I think eating disorders to just the average person, I see a lot people not even understanding like how serious eating disorders are, because I think there's something that, you know, with high school girls, I think that can be glamorized of like, oh, it's cool to have an eating disorder or we see it in the movies. And, but you know, when we really dig into like the research and once you like work with people with eating disorders, you see like, this is a big deal. Um, and then the connection that it can have with, with addiction. So yeah, what do you feel like you've learned? And I know, I feel like this is like a weighted question, but like working (laughs) with eating disorders and addiction. Yeah, no, it's a great question though, because in school, I'm not going to lie. Like I did not learn anything about the intersection between eating disorder, eating disorders and addiction. And even like a lot about eating disorders alone, Yeah, you know, we learn very surface level information. So when I was getting into my first job, I was like, okay, this is an area that like, I want to learn more about because I didn't know a lot about And then it landed me that job. And then, you know, now being in the addiction center, like it's just, I I had no idea the intersection, but it really, I think comes down to, you know, we don't necessarily know the cause of eating disorders, but we know that there can be a lot of moving parts, which is like environmental, um, you know, family life, trauma history, you know, any history of like anxiety or depression or OCD, like all of these factors contribute to potentially having an eating disorder or having it arise or turn into an eating disorder from disordered eating. And the same thing, the same exact factors go into addiction, which I think it's just people don't know really what what goes into these things. And I think once you break it down and you're like, okay, a lot of people who have eating disorder history struggle with, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then you kind of say, okay, I'm like in this setting and I'm like, okay, all of these people also struggle with X, Y, and Z. It only makes sense that they can be either co-occurring diagnoses or, you know, they can fluctuate. What I see is that patients can fluctuate and they can like have one that's, you know, a little bit more severe at the time. But then once they try to recover from whether it's like alcohol or substance abuse, the eating disorder control factor comes back in. And then that's where I come in, in the setting, because obviously they're both super, super important and to live a healthy life, they need tools to be able to like manage, you know, both of those. Yeah, I totally agree. And I see that with clients too, even without addiction present, but definitely when it's present too, Of I refer to it with clients kind of like the game whack-a-mole where it's like one thing pops up and you know, maybe for someone at a time, their primary thing's the addiction. And then they start to kind of get more of a grasp on that. That's not as big of an issue, but then it's easy for the eating disorder to pop up or something else. So yeah, I think it can be, you know, maybe one of them is the primary diagnosis at first, and then that's the focus. But then over time, okay, I'm not able to cope with X, Y, Z because I'm trying to take away my eating disorder so now let me go back, go back to whatever my addiction was. Um, oh, yeah. So it, yeah, it's such a like web that can be hard for people to get out of for sure. And it's hard. What I see is a lot of people don't even realize that what they're experiencing with food 
could even be classified as disordered mm-hmm. eating or eating disorder. And I mean, that that's hard for me sometimes to explain that in that setting, because where I work in the addiction center, it's not a dual facility. It's not mm-hmm. rec- like addiction and eating disorders, which there's yeah. very few out there, which there should be more in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in my position, it can be a struggle because I'm like, so eager. I want to do everything, but I have to remind myself, like they are here for, you know, substance or alcohol or whatever it is that they came in for. And that they're, a lot of them are just brushing the surface with their relationship to food. Some of them come in Mm. and they're, they're screened for having a previous history. And then some I'm like, okay, like I'm checking the boxes. I'm like, this person, you know, really does classify and it's figuring out then, okay, from our center, what is the best? best like plan of action for them. And that could be outpatient, both like addiction recovery and getting Mm -hmm. into maybe outpatient eating disorder treatment first and going from there. So it is interesting how some people have the history coming in and then some, um, I'm kind of the person being like, just so you know, like this isn't normal. This isn't a normal relationship to food. And, you know, let's address what we can while you're recovering from what you came here for and see what we can do for you next. Yeah. And why do you think people don't realize that at first with food? Like, why do you think, you know, people come in with whatever their addiction may be, and then you're getting that like food history and all of these flags are going up of like, okay, this is like most likely an eating disorder or just, you know, extreme disordered eating. How do you think that goes like kind of just slips under the rug for, for people? Yeah. I think, well, first of all, I think it it happens in every setting, you know, we see this all the time, not just in like the addiction center, but Mm -hmm. with a lot of people who come in to see me when you are actively, you know, abusing drugs and or alcohol, a lot of these people typically aren't eating regularly. You know, they're not having breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks. And they feel really frustrated because a lot of times the referral will be like, feels out of control around food. Mm -hmm. Like just what we see with anyone who's experiencing, whether it be like binge eating or disordered eating with overeating. So they'll come to me. And I think a lot of times, you know, their body is starving, you know, because they're like, well, I wasn't eating regularly because I was abusing X, Y, or Z. And then they don't understand why they have like such an intense urge to, you know, eat. And they're trying to restrict because unfortunately diet culture tells us yeah. that restriction is normal. So they're, you know, it's, it's all these moving parts. They're trying to restrict because they think they want to get healthy too. Cause that's a big mm-hmm. thing in this kind of setting is like, they kind of want to do like a total like 180 mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, I wasn't eating well. I wasn't exercising. I was abusing, you know, whatever I was abusing. Now I want to get clean, like eat yeah. healthy, eat clean food. So it's the mindset. It's literally physically, they weren't eating enough before they came in. And then it creates what we know is like this perfect storm where it's like, okay, your body is going to send you increased signals for hunger. And you're trying to really um, strictly monitor like what is good, quote unquote, And what Mm -hmm. is bad, quote unquote, and that's not helping you, you know, have a good mindset getting into re-nourishing yourself. Yeah, that's so good. And as you were saying all that too, I'm so curious. Like, I feel like there probably are some addiction centers out there that don't have a dietitian like you who maybe do preach that message of like, okay, we're getting clean. And in getting clean, that also means we're quote unquote, cleaning up our diet and, you know, kind of feeds them all of these diet culture messaging. And I'm sure unintentionally not trying Mm -hmm. to do harm. It's just, you know, maybe what they think is the right thing, but then that may give them something 
to grasp onto, like we talked about a minute ago, where they they're used to grasping onto whatever their, you know, alcohol drug of choice was. And then you take that away. Someone introduces like, oh, you need to make sure you're only eating, you know, lean meat that can turn into that slippery slope of an eating disorder if they didn't, if that wasn't even already the case to begin with. You're so right. And, you know, I don't know, I want to make more connections with people who mm-hmm. are dietitians in addiction centers. So if you're out there listening, mm-hmm. please connect with me Yes, because <laughs> I don't know that many people, but you mm-hmm. know, in my setting specifically, I've, I feel so lucky, but um, the nursing staff, like the head of nursing actually had me do like a virtual recorded mm-hmm. training so that every single counselor, every single nurse, mm-hmm. every single new doctor will listen to my recording on eating disorders, disordered eating uh, and so addiction good. so that they even have the information, you know, on the top of their head to be like, wait, my language matters here, especially mm-hmm. with counselors, you know, because, mm-hmm. and again, they mean no ill will, but it's like, for sure. you could say something like, okay, well, let's focus on like getting mostly fruits and vegetables, which, you know, to some people could, could do nothing. But if you're talking to someone who has any sort of, you know, inclination that it could turn into, um, an eating disorder or disordered eating, like that could literally be something that they're like, okay, that's the only thing I'm going to focus on. And then as we know, like that can become a very unhealthy relationship very quickly. So I feel lucky that I've been able to like, at least record that so that there's some sort of information for the staff out there so that they know, because so many of these staff members, like I've get, I get emails all the time and they're like, we had no idea about, Mm -hmm. especially like orthorexia. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely been interesting, but it it keeps you on my toes for sure. Yeah. Because it is so, I mean, thinking of orthorexia specifically, it's also normalized. So I'm sure again, with like the therapist, the different providers, meaning no harm, they just probably hear something, see something on social media, like, oh, it seems like low carb is like all the rage. Like, let me just tell that to my client. They're trying to get healthy. Maybe that'll help without realizing like, oh, that's probably not helpful. And if this person, even thinking about addictions and you talked about the beginning, like the things that can be like the root of addictions and or eating disorders. And I feel like one of those is like biology-based our genetics. So knowing if that person's already like predisposed to, you know, maybe like OCD type tendencies or whatever it may be where you give them something like that of like, oh, don't eat carbs or don't eat after this time, they start to cling to that. Oh, Um, absolutely. And so many people, so pre-COVID, when I was working there, I used to do like weekly lectures to all of the clientele who were, you know, staying at the center. And mm -hmm. it's so funny because, I mean, you know this as a dietitian, but people are like shocked when I'm like, no, eat carbs, you know, like Mm -hmm. all foods fit. But especially in this setting, I can't tell you how many times they have been told cut out sugar because sugar acts on the same part of your brain as drugs and alcohol. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what we know is yes, both of them cause dopamine release. Both of them make you happy, but cutting out, you know, carbohydrate, which we need to live and function properly is not the answer to, you know, having a healthy recovery from your addiction. It's actually going to make um, what we know is like you hyper-focus on these things that you cut out and then it can cause this whole pattern. So it's really the education is is so needed, I think, in, and with everyone in a center like that, because whether they have any issue with food or not, like there's just so much confusion. And when they're going through this time period where like they really are trying to get healthier, it's so important that they have the facts 
from, you know, people like us. Yes, absolutely. And I love what you said about the sugar and addiction, because I think that's a huge thing. And I'm sure you're familiar with that study about like rats and Mm -hmm. the sugar. And I think, you know, if, if you just were to glance at that study, you know, you would see, and I've seen people use it like this of like, oh, sugar's addicted. See, or addictive. See, we have it from this research. But when we look at that study, the rats were starved or restricted of sugar and then they were given sugar. So of course it's going to trigger that kind of addictive type feeling just like anything else. If you restrict ice cream and then let yourself have it, it's going to be kind of that like free for all feeling, but also going off of that, like dopamine response that we get from maybe drugs or alcohol, sugar. We can also get that from like petting a dog or doing something we enjoy. So I think it's easy to like narrow it down to like, well, see, it triggers the same thing as our, in our brain. Sugar does triggers the same thing, but there's so many other things. And so I think that helps to show that like sugar is harmless. Mm-hmm. Sure. If we restrict ourselves from it, then it may trigger even more and it may seem addictive, but it's very different. Um, but I yeah. think that's something that's so talked about of like, oh, sugar, like I'm addicted to sugar. I have a sugar addiction. Oh my gosh. So as so many people who come in my office, I'm like, so I'm seeing you because of like X, Y, or Z. And they're like, well, I really want to talk to you because I'm really struggling. I can't stop craving, you know, like dessert at the end of the night. And like I was saying earlier, you know, I'm like, okay, before we even go there, how are you eating before you came in? And so many of these patients aren't eating even regularly, maybe. And it's not even like always conscious restriction. It's really just because of like the behaviors they were practicing, you know, before they came in. And I really try to explain that, you know, as quickly as I can, because my sessions aren't that long there, unfortunately, but you know, you aren't crazy. You don't lack willpower. You are hungry. You know, your body's hungry and you're re-nourishing. So especially when they're in our center, which can be anywhere from like a week to six weeks at a time, those Mm -hmm. first couple of weeks, like can be very intense, you know, when Mm -hmm. you're, when you haven't been nourished and you're really, really hungry. And it's just interesting for them to to see that approach because most people think that I'm going to say the exact opposite or they've heard the exact opposite from, from wherever they've heard it. So um, it's definitely a good conversations that continue need to be continued to have. Yeah. I love that. And it's like, they're going in for one thing, probably not even thinking they have any issues with food and then realizing like, okay, there's more, more for me to work on, like peeling back an onion of like, I thought it was Mm -hmm. just, you know, my drug addiction, but also my relationship with food isn't great. Cause I think when it comes to addiction, it's easy for that to tap into just like how you even just like care for yourself and meet your daily needs. It's easy to like overlook, you know, getting out of your house or going to bed at a decent time, waking up. And, and I think food can easily fall into that too where, you know, you're not eating meals regularly or you're trying to find control in that area. Like, yeah, it's, it's so interconnected. I feel like. Oh, absolutely. And I think another interesting thing that I see is there's been more than, you know, a handful of people who have come into my office and they, you know, have said, actually, my primary issue is food and I'm not ready to even address that yet. So I'm here because obviously they have like a dual you know, yeah. they have a dual addiction or not addiction, like a dual diagnosis. I'm sorry. And they come in cause they're ready to address the one. And then they end up having to see me because some facilities that, you know, these people have been to yeah. don't have a dietitian. So they don't think they're going to have to address the food thing yet. So it's really, mm. really scary. 
And for people like that, I think, you know, I always say I would be the worst dietitian ever if I was like, okay, you're going to go from eating, you know, whatever their, their situation is like eating, you know, not regularly to eating all the time. Like that's not how mm-hmm. we do things. You know, it's yeah. like a very slow process and it's traumatic for a lot of people who are, are really scared. And like I said, it, it's been so many people who are like, well, you know what, you know, I'm here obviously, cause this is important. Recovery is important for my addiction or my substance or whatever. But the other issue is almost too scary for me to even like address. Um, mm-hmm. So in those situations, you know, it's hard for me sometimes to be like, okay, well, like, how can I even help them in the little time that I have in, you know, this setting that is not dual diagnosis treatment. But, yeah. you know, unfortunately, what I wanted to do before COVID hit was like to have a group, you know, because that would be great to have everyone who's flagged with disordered eating or eating disorder tendencies to like attend a group where like we literally go through the basics, like nutrition 101, like introducing intuitive eating, like all the things that I'm so passionate about, but COVID put a pause on that. So that is my hope for the future. And Mm. I hope other facilities do the same because I'm sure I'm not the the only facility who has these these people. Yeah. Because I think it goes in even other fields outside of addiction where eating disorders and just, you know, gentle nutrition, intuitive eating are so just not talked about or, or diet culture is just so much louder. So it's important to have people like you in that addiction setting or dietitians in settings that maybe, you know, you may tell people you work in an addiction center and some people may be like, what, like, why would they need a dietitian (laughs) there? But then when you see the work you do day in and out, it's like, how could they not have a dietitian? Like these people need the work you're doing. It, it is, it's, it's crazy. And I'm, I'm so happy I found this spot because I didn't even know, like, I didn't know this was a career option. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's yeah. such an interesting place to be. And what you were saying too, like with even the, like, obviously these places offer food. So all these people are eating, you know, institutionalized food every day. And you said like diet culture is louder. And I can't tell you how many people are so stressed out about like not having control over the meals being offered. And they're like, you know, they come in to see me and they're like all, you know, hot and bothered. And they're like, how come you're offering, you know, burgers and pizza? Like Mm -hmm. we need healthy food to fuel our recovery. And first of all, I don't make the menu, but I do say, listen, (laughs) you know, you are only going to be here for four to six weeks. You're recovering. There are always options. And it's, it's just crazy to me how people think that, you know, eating pizza and a burger is going to like, impact, you know, their recovery so greatly. And that just shows that diet culture is so loud. And I'm like, so then I talk them through, like, here's how we can add some gentle nutrition to these plates. And it's just, you know, these kinds of conversations happen so often. And I feel, I feel so bad because I've been there before too, where you feel like every morsel of food matters Mm -hmm. put into your body becomes so hyper-focused, but I really have to explain to them, like, you're here for your recovery you don't have complete control over your food. That is okay. And then, you know, we go from there, but those conversations also happen quite frequently. Yeah. And I'm sure because, you know, thinking about food, they would serve in centers like that. I mean, one, there's probably the financial aspect of like, okay, it's Mm -hmm. not like we can serve kale salads to everyone. (laughs) Like that would get expensive and making sure it's like, going to like please most people. Like it's a food that people like. Um, But yeah, I think with that too, it's even digging in. And I do this a lot with my clients too, of like, 
Okay. Let's even like unpack the word healthy. Like what does that really mean? Because if you're choosing a kale salad, but you're doing it because, you know, you feel so stressed and overwhelmed and so guilty if you eat pizza and, you know, maybe you're saying no to going out to dinner with friends. Like, is that really the healthy choice if it's then impacting truly other aspects of your health? Maybe it's not impacting your physical health, but it's impacting your relationships, your emotions, things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it removes them from, cause in this setting, I'm like, you know, are you even being able to be present in your group? You mm-hmm. know, are you present in the situations where you're supposed to be learning or are you really hyper-focused on what are they serving for lunch? And when I frame it like that, it, it helps a lot of people take a step back and be like, wow, okay. You know, this isn't as big of a deal as I thought it was. Um, but you're yeah. so right. Like we can't serve kale salads, you know, every day. And it's not like it's just pizza and burgers. I don't mean to frame For it sure. like that. Yeah. Those are the foods that they tell me. And then I look at the menu and I'm like, but there's also these options, you know? So people, they just get really frustrated when we have a lack of control over our intake. And I think that just shows that, you know, our whole life isn't centered around food. There's a lot more yes. and food is just a part of it. And that's really what I try to stress. Yeah. Yeah. So then what, cause you mentioned, you know, the people you're working with, you're with them for such a short period of time. What are some like, maybe like the two or three or, or just like the kind of main points you like to hit with them in regards to, you know, food and eating and, and what food should really look like for them? Yeah, no. Um, so it's kind of taken a while for me to like find my rhythm with that. When Mm -hmm. I first started, I wanted to, you know, focus on everything that I could, but now I really start out and I say, you know, nutrition is literally one aspect of your health. So keep in mind, like what you're hearing on the outside or even what you're hearing maybe here is that food is everything and exercise is everything. And I try to say like, even though I'm a dietitian and I love food, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not completely true. You know, Mm -hmm. I really only want you to start focusing on your nutrition when you feel like you're focusing on your recovery, your stress is at an okay level, your mindset is even ready to focus on nutrition. And then also like outside circumstances of these, of these people affect, you know, what, what I tell them, because some of these people don't have the financial means for me to even get into like, you know, especially with diabetics, I see, you know, if it's listed that they're homeless, like I'm not going to go telling them like, to buy whole grains. So there's a lot that goes into what I say to each specific person, but for the most part, you know, the general um, things that I say are that nutrition is only one piece of the puzzle. You know, we can focus on making choices that make you feel good without feeling like you need to, um, you know, cut out anything with, or you don't have to cut out anything unless you are allergic to it kind of thing. And then Mm -hmm. a lot of it's just really basic education. Like here's why you need carbs. Here's why you need protein. Here's why you need fat. So you can only imagine if I have a 20 minute session, you know, it takes probably five minutes to focus on that nutrition is one piece of the puzzle. I'll go into the macronutrients, why they need them. And then I'll quickly, you know, help them with the menu that week. And Mm -hmm. then hopefully I see them the next week because it's really weekly. I see each, each person. So I try to cover as much as I can, but general, I think is best. Um, because if you get into like some super specific thing, you know, they're not going to really know what to do with that. Yes. Yes. And I love what you said too, about it being so individualized because that's so true. Like sure. There's some things like you just mentioned that can, can apply to most people, 
but then it's digging into like, okay, how does this apply to each specific person where, you know, finances are a barrier. I'm not going to tell them to go, like you said, buy all whole grains. I'm going to talk through like, how can we buy like food items that you enjoy in a way that fits your budget, makes sense for your lifestyle. Cause I think that's where dieting is. So just not inclusive with all that because it tells us like, oh, well, we have to buy all organic. We have to buy from all these grocery stores. So fitting it into their lifestyle, I think can help even just make this idea of gentle nutrition, intuitive eating realistic for them too. Yeah. I mean, you can literally see it's like a breath of fresh air, you know, especially Mm -hmm. for the people who have, don't have the financial means. Like, yeah, I remember one specific person with diabetes was like, but I think I need to be taking like turmeric pills or something. Mm, And I was like, this is not your priority. And, you know, let's focus on making sure that you have a good balance of carbs and protein and fat and what those come to be are what those come to be. But, but that was all you could focus on, you know, at that point. Um, And you could literally see, like I said, it's a breath of fresh air to be like, wow, I don't need to do apple cider vinegar gummies and, you know, turmeric pills or, and all these things that I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, I can't even believe that that's even reaching you, you know, at this point. Uh, which I'm sure, I mean, imagining those people in those positions where they hear these messagings around like, Oh, turmeric's going to cure my diabetes, which like you and I both know, like one isn't even true, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but still, if they, if they see that and then like, they're like, Oh my gosh, well now I need to pay $50 a month for these turmeric pills so that I can cure diabetes. And then, you know, that who knows how much of their grocery bill that is. So that, yeah, that makes it so tough. So I I know what you mean when you say it's like such a breath of fresh air for them of like, okay, I could buy like white rice and that's my carb. (laughs) Like that is fine. And it's cheaper than buying like whole grain rice or, you know, any other like carb type option. Oh yeah. And I mean, supplements in general in this type of facility, and I'm sure you hear questions about supplements too, just like working Mm -hmm. with one-to-one clients, but you know, I will get so many consults being like, so-and-so wants to see you to see if they can take, you know, and some of them I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, and and so then I'll meet with them and I'm like, can you tell me why you want to take this? Mm -hmm. And again, it's literally, you know, they're like, oh, well I read, or I heard from so-and-so and then it's just education on that being like, well, let's see if you're meeting your needs through your diet. And, um, you know, people are really quick to jump on that wagon of like, what can I, what can I take that makes this just like a one and done kind of thing, yes. um, without just the basic principles that apply to most, almost all things with nutrition. So yeah. I get a lot of those. Yes. I think supplements is super present one just in our culture but i think in this community of like eating disorders and addiction and especially going back to what we said about like orthorexia like wanting to be as quote unquote healthy as possible oh now i need to pay so much money for these supplements um yeah it can be so great to shift people away from that of like you can meet your needs just through food like you're fine exactly i mean Sometimes I feel like I'm like a broken record because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I say the same things over and over again, but it is because like, you know, you and I were so passionate about preaching that it doesn't have to be that hard. So that's really what it comes down to, no matter where I am, whether I'm like in that setting or with my one-to-one clients, um, you know, simple, even though it's not glamorous, even though it's not fancy, 
it's, it's typically the best. Yes. Like nutrition can be simple. And, and especially thinking about people who are struggling with addictions and maybe also an eating disorder eating or disordered eating, they're already navigating enough in their recovery journey. So one of the best things that, you know, we can do as providers is help make food as simple as possible for them. So then they can have more brain space to focus on, let's say their primary diagnosis is their addiction. Like they can have more brain space to focus on that and make food something that's, that's a little bit easier. Oh yeah. Is that, it's about being present. You know, it really is about being mm-hmm. present so they can focus on what they need to focus on. And another thing I didn't even bring up yet, but you know, in these settings with professionals, there is a lack of education when it comes to like, you know, the nurses will be like, well, what do we do? Like this person is actively, you know, using symptoms of, of an eating disorder. What do we do? And their, their first reaction, at least in my facility, I can't speak for everyone though, is like, okay, they're going to have to eat every single meal at the nursing station. Mm. And, you know, I know just from working in partial hospitalization before coming to this, that eating alone and, you know, having a hawk over you and feeling like you're, someone's just hyper fixated on everything that you're putting in your body, like is traumatic. So that was a huge thing. When I started, I was like, listen, like, these people need to go to the dining room. They need to eat, you know, with their peers. And we can of course have these conversations to make sure that, you know, they're not hurting or harming themselves, but isolation is not the answer. And it's just, it's so interesting because that was the automatic, um, like what they automatically thought they had to do the providers. And coming in, you know, I'm, I'm a younger dietitian. I was like, yeah. actually, you know, and it can be scary to speak up, but it's mm-hmm. so true. Like you don't want to, you don't want anyone who feels traumatized by eating to also be alone when they're eating. Yes. Yes. Because that, I mean, we were talking about COVID earlier, like COVID did that for people. I think that's one of the many reasons that eating disorders and addiction did have such a spike because there was an increase in isolation. So then if we're, you know, creating that isolation ourselves for them. Like, okay, you need to go eat this meal by yourself by the nurse's station. So, you know, someone's watching you, that's going to just increase their anxiety, make them probably want to use their behavior even more versus like, how can we create a normal environment for you with food? And maybe, you know, there's someone sitting at the table with all of you, but you're not having to be isolated. Um, Because I think too, in those settings, I'm sure it's true too, just with like addictions without the presence of an eating disorder. Like you don't want to make them feel like the black sheep or something where it's like, oh, well, yeah, she has to go eat at the the nurse's station because have you heard what, what she's struggling with? Like it makes the person who's struggling feel like, wow, something must be really wrong with me if I'm having to do this like separate, like isolated thing. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we call it like um, AMA, you know, which is against medical advice when, yeah. when they leave. And I've had people when I first started who literally leave because mm. that is not enjoyable. So oh, yeah. you know, it, it just took conversations, like t- tough conversations, but to really be like, okay, what is the protocol? And now that like there is a protocol in place, um, it's, it's made it a lot better because it's just, you know, it's, it's sad when someone would come into my office and be like, I'm not enjoying you know, you have to eat, you know, so I'm, yeah. I'm not enjoying breakfast, lunch, or dinner because I am isolated and people are, you know, whether it's, they're asking them questions or talking behind their back and they hear it. So 
So that was a huge piece. And, and that's just like you said, like whether you're in addiction or not, COVID with isolation has just really made your anxiety levels higher if food has ever been an issue for you. So now yeah. that we're slowly, fingers crossed, coming out of um, Gosh, isolation, <laughs> hopefully, you know, it's, it's not as big as an issue anymore, but it, it definitely increased things this past mm. year. Yes. Gosh, I totally agree. So switching gears, the way I love to end interviews is asking our guests their favorite food memory because, you know, Mm -hmm. we've talked about diet culture a lot. And I think one thing diet culture loves to do is try and take like the fun out of food and, you know, the memories and the relationships and all of that. But I think, and I know, you know, as dietitians, most of us are such big foodies. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so what is like a food memory that, that stands out to you or one of your favorite food memories? Yeah. So I would say, I love this question so much, first of all, but um, I would say it is crazy. Like obviously practicing what I practice, I wasn't always an intuitive eater. Food wasn't always easy for me. And specifically, I can think of many a Christmas Eve. It's a big thing in my family. Like we all get Mm -hmm. together where, you know, I would be the person who like saved up, you know, Mm, for our party. And then, you know, by, by the time the party came, I wasn't focusing on the conversations. I I wasn't present. So I would say as of lately, not this past Christmas Eve because of uh, COVID, we were not together, but the previous Christmas Eve, you know, I I can remember being like, wow, this is so different Mm -hmm. um, than my past Christmas Eves because I I wasn't like so hyper fixated and I was able to like enjoy the conversation. So I would, I would pick that as my favorite food memory. Uh I love that. And I think it's cool when you can see like, okay, this is something that I value so much, but for years of my life because of, you know, diets or my relationship with food, I wasn't able to actually fully enjoy this. I feel like it makes it even more enjoyable once you move past that. Yeah. I'm like looking, I just like look forward to it. Whereas like I used to look forward to it, but I also used to be like, well, you know, you're probably not going to feel great. And now it's like, that doesn't even cross my mind. And it's so incredible to see the growth, you know? So I always tell my clients, you know, whatever, whatever setting I'm in that sometimes you don't even notice the changes happening, but once it happens and you're in that moment, you're like, yes, wait, I didn't just like freak out. And I I didn't feel like I needed to like run upstairs to use the restroom or something because you know, because I ate until I was uncomfortably full. Like I was just present the whole night and, and then the night was over and, and you don't think about it. So those are yeah. the moments that just, you know, I, I encourage everyone to wait for because they will happen. Mm. Yes. Uh, that's so good. I totally agree. And I think it shifts through the seasons. Like I think right now, a lot of clients are starting to see breakthroughs of I'm feeling more confident, like shopping for bathing suits or, you know, eating food and not having to think about how it's going to impact my body. Like, I think, yeah, that's one of my favorite things to experience with clients is as they start to notice those little things of like, wow, I think I'm making more progress than, you know, maybe I've thought. Yeah. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And I think it is the best when like you're least expecting it because Mm -hmm. that just shows that it's like, it's just becoming a part of you, which it should. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Lauren, thanks so much for taking time to come on the show. This was such a great conversation and much needed conversation for sure. So people listening, if they want to follow you, learn more from you, where can people find you? So you can find me at Instagram. My handle is at Lauren's Balance Bites. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can reach out to me there. 
or you can reach out to me through the happy, strong, healthy RD.com website. Um, but Instagram's like my primary, you know, way to contact me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Lauren. This was great. Thank you. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Free Method Nutrition for more inspiring content on food freedom, intuitive eating, body respect, and many other things. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it to reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you always catch our latest conversations. See you next episode.